Now, we read in the scriptures that Barabbas was a male factor, which means that he was a criminal. And from what I can understand, uh, he may have even very well been a murderer. And yet these people are being incited by the religious leaders who hate Jesus to say, Barabbas, Barabbas, release to us Barabbas. And Jesus, who had never done anything wrong, neither was there any guile ever in his mouth, was handed over to be crucified. Away with him, let him be crucified. So if you'll recall the last time we were together, Paul had this opportunity to speak and to share his testimony in Jerusalem. He had been accused of not respecting Judaism, even though he was in the temple fulfilling a vow. And this mob wanted to hurt him and he was pulled out of the mob by the Roman leadership and then he asked for permission to speak to the crowd. That's not what would be the first thing on my mind when I was pulled out of a mob, um, if that ever happened to me. But Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, uh, has this request and it's granted So he begins to share his testimony, and we're going to cover um, the second half of that today in Acts chapter 22. So this is a very interesting passage to me because this marks the second time that the Apostle Paul invokes his Roman citizenship. There are a number of people who say that we should only be focused on our heavenly citizenship. And obviously, our heavenly citizenship is our priority. However, God has placed us on this earth. And he's given us the opportunity to be citizens of this great country, America. And so I find it very interesting that Paul even though he wrote the words, our citizenship is in heaven, he still prized his Roman citizenship and used it to his advantage when possible to do. So the first part of our passage today, Paul is going to relate Jesus' instructions to him early in his faith journey. Remember, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and he went into the synagogues and preached Christ almost immediately. And he had a great burden for the Jewish people. But we're going to see that Jesus is going to unfold a greater plan for Paul. So let's begin reading at Acts 22.17. We're going to read the first four verses here. Acts 22, 17 and 21 read, 
And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance, and saw him saying unto me, Make haste, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed in thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Now, I, I think these verses are a good lesson for us too because how many times have we thought of something good that would be awesome to do but God directs us that it's not what he wants us to do. Sometimes we look at what God has gifted or called uh, one of our brothers or sisters in the Lord to do, and we say, well, it would be great if I could do that. But we don't realize that there are other specific giftings that God has given us. And Jesus, even though he knew that Paul's heart was for the Jewish people and he said and he knew that he wanted nothing more than to preach the gospel to them he said depart because I'm sending you to the Gentiles remember that was the message of Ananias when he touched Paul and healed him of his blindness uh, he said God is going to send you to be his vessel to the Gentiles And so we see here that Paul is telling them something that happened about 20 years before when he had been a follower of Jesus for two or three years. Even though he had been a Christian for a few years, yet he still came to Jerusalem to pray in the temple. So again, he wants the Jews that are present to know that he hasn't abandoned Judaism fully, that he still sees value in going to the temple. Not salvific value, but still value. Um, Even though he had been a Christian for a few years, yet he still came to Jerusalem to pray in the temple. He wanted the crowd to know that even though he trusted Jesus, he was not against all Jewish ceremonies and rituals. Um, And so then then we see Paul's Christian life was founded on God's truth, not spiritual experiences. And he didn't even like to talk a lot about his spiritual experiences. You know, there was quite a a rash of books and materials uh, about a decade ago of people that had supposedly gone to heaven and come back. And then they wrote about it. Well, there's an experience that Paul relates when he was stoned and some people believe that he died and God sent him back. But when Paul relates about it in the epistles, he says, I can't talk about it. So uh, I think that that to me lends credence to the fact that he actually did die and, and come back to life. But when he did, he's like, I can't tell you what I experienced. I can only say that this happened and it changed me. And uh, so 
as Paul is relating this, he is saying it, it was a good thing that I wanted to uh, share Christ with my fellow Jews. As a matter of fact, he tells the Romans, Gentiles, that he would be willing to be accursed if the Jews could be saved. Because his burden for the Jews never left just because God called him to the Gentiles. Um, and this, that was from the Enduring Word Bible Commentary on Acts. Uh, so can we look at Galatians 1, verses 12 to 17? Galatians 1, 12 to 17. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he, he goes to Arabia to be taught by Jesus Christ himself. This, incidentally, is why Paul can be considered an apostle. Because the difference between a disciple and an apostle, you and I are disciples. We love the Lord. Peter says, whom having not seen ye love. But the apostles spent time with Jesus in bodily form. That is why we call Paul the Apostle Paul. Because he had that experience um, that he had spent time with Jesus in bodily form. In his book, Facing Loneliness, J. Oswald Sanders writes, The round of pleasure or the amassing of wealth are but vain attempts to escape from the persistent ache. The millionaire is usually a lonely man and the comedian is often more unhappy than his audience. Sanders goes on to emphasize that being successful often fails to produce satisfaction. Then he refers to Henry Martin, a distinguished scholar, as an example of what he is talking about. Martin, a Cambridge University student, was honored at only 20 years of age for his achievements in mathematics. In fact, he was given the highest recognition possible in the field, and yet he still felt an emptiness inside. He said that instead of finding fulfillment in his achievement, achievements, he only grasped at a shadow. After evaluating his life's goals, Martin sailed to India as a missionary at the age of 24. When he arrived, he prayed, Lord, let me burn out for you. In the next seven years that preceded his death, he translated the New Testament into three different Eastern languages. These notable achievements were certainly not passing shadows. So this young man had achieved great things in academics, but it wasn't until he surrendered to the Lord and did what the Lord asked him to do that he really lived 
a fulfilled life. Remember, Paul at the end of his life would say, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the race. Obedience to God is so important in living a fulfilling life. Our second section shows the silent crowd going into an uproar. Up until this point, the crowd that Paul is speaking to has been silently listening to what he has to share. But something's going to happen in these next few verses that's going to change that. So Acts 22, 22-24 says, And they gave him audience unto this word, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he, it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. So Paul is preaching, they're listening, they're, they're silent, and then as soon as he, he mentions that he was called to the Gentiles, they say away with him, and they're not talking about put him in a different room, because they say it is not fit that such a man should live. Members of this crowd had listened to Paul up to his statement that God had sent him to minister to the Gentiles. But that was the end of their interest, since they could not tolerate the suggestion that Gentiles could be saved without first becoming Jewish proselytes. That would make them spiritually equal to the Jewish people before God, the most blatant heresy imaginable to the crowd. Or there were Jews that believed the Gentiles could become Jewish and thus be saved, thus be thought as redeemed by God. But what they didn't like was this idea that a Gentile didn't have to stop being a Gentile to be acceptable to God. And yet, sadly, I know some people today that think that they have to become Jews as Gentiles to be acceptable to the Lord. And I remember asking somebody once who went to a Messianic Jewish synagogue, I said, well, are there any Jews that go there? And she said, no, they're all Gentiles who have realized that they need to embrace Judaism to be right before the Lord. Or at, at the very least, that it enhances your relationship with the Lord in an awesome way. And I'm not going to sit up here and say that studying Judaism won't help you. I have observed a Passover Seder twice in my life. Both times I felt like it was an enriching experience. But there's nothing salvific about that. Because... Paul says, if I'm relying on the law, then I make the grace of God of no effect. So we need to make sure 
that we are not putting the works of Judaism on equal par with the grace of God. And that section that I just read was from John MacArthur. I, I see a lot of parallels between what Paul is going through here with what his master Jesus went through. Can we look at Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 18? Luke 23, 13 through 18. Now, we read in the scriptures that Barabbas was a male factor, which means that he was a criminal. And from what I can understand, uh, he may have even very well been a murderer. And yet these people are being incited by the religious leaders who hate Jesus to say, Barabbas, Barabbas, release to us. Barabbas and Jesus who had never done anything wrong neither was there any guile ever in his mouth was handed over to be crucified away with him let him be crucified and the people said at that point his blood be on us and on our children not even realizing that that is exactly how redemption is possible. Because his blood is on us. Just as God told Moses in the book of Exodus during the first Passover, when I see the blood on the doorposts and the lentil, I will pass over you. He says the same thing to us today. When I see Jesus' blood on your life, There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. What a wonderful privilege it is to live under that promise and to be under the blood. And what a wonderful privilege it is to be a New Testament saint and looking back at what Jesus did and not still wondering when will Jesus come? So many Jews think that their Messiah has not come yet. But what a wonderful thing it is for organizations like Jews for Jesus who say to them, yes, indeed, your Messiah has come. And you can trust him today. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine baseball game. But what happened that day was anything but routine. The Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston third baseman. Within minutes, all the players from both teams 
had joined in the brawl, the warfare quickly spread to the grandstands. Among the fans, the conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set fire to the stands and the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well. So, this is a lesson to us that when we have anger going through our mind and our heart, it can lead us to do some awful things. And it can spread like wildfire and affect a whole lot more than just us. We've read a couple times in this book about mobs who didn't even know what they were saying. That was one of the things we we read a while back. They didn't even know what they were saying. They didn't even know what the fight was about. But they just got so caught up in the anger that they didn't care. That was from Our Daily Bread. And may it be a reminder to us how dangerous it can be to give in to anger. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. May we all learn to exercise self-control in a better, more appropriate way. So now we come to the final section of our passage today. Paul and the captain who has taken him in to figure out what he has done wrong. They're going to discuss their Roman citizenship. And this is a very interesting group of verses starting with verse 25 to the end of the chapter. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? And uncondemned. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou dost, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid, after he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. On the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands, and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear, and brought Paul down, and set him before them. So we have a situation where Paul knows the law. He knows that he cannot be beaten as a Roman and as one uncondemned. He hasn't had a criminal trial. They're just going to try to beat some semblance of the truth out of him. But he says, as a Roman, you can't do this to me. And then, he, then it says when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain. So he's probably shaking in his boots that he almost beat a Roman. And Paul confirms, yes, I am a Roman. And the captain says something very interesting. He says, with a great price, 
I obtain my Roman citizenship. So this captain, this high up person in the Roman government, he said, I paid for my Roman citizenship. And Paul said, but I was freeborn. I was born a Roman. And this caused them to depart. And the chief captain was afraid. After he knew he was a Roman and because he had bound him. And the next day, he released him from his bands. And commanded that the chief priests and all their council appear and brought Paul down and set them before him. So he's going to go, next time we're together, he will speak to this council after being released from this scourging. But I find it interesting that once again, as in Acts chapter 16, Paul invokes his Roman citizenship and he says, I know for a fact that the law says you cannot beat me because I'm a Roman citizen and uncondemned. Scholars note that one could achieve Roman citizenship in several ways. One could be born to a Roman father, as Paul was. One could be a citizen of a Roman colony. One could be a retired auxiliary soldier. One could be part of a municipal aristocracy or other group honored by Rome. Or, and the most common, after being born in Rome or a colony, is you could be a slave, freed by his or her owner. The tribune or commander is either a former slave who acquired enough funds to buy his freedom, as often happened, or he bought his citizenship by a bribe, which was common under the preceding emperor, whose name he took. He had to be a citizen before he could be a part of the legion. To have, to have the status of a tribune, he must have had a powerful patron or been one of those rare individuals who toiled his way up through the ranks to this position. Being freeborn gave one a, gave one a higher status than being a freed person did. And a slave-born citizen had limited rights. This was true from the Aristotelic standpoint of status, although it was not necessarily true economically. Still attached as clients to their former owners, freed slaves had economic advantages that freeborn peasants lacked. Paul thus has superior status in some sense. He may have replied in Latin, he was ingenuous, a citizen by birth. as he mentioned in Acts chapter 16. And that was from the IVP background commentary of the New Testament. Could we look back again, if we would, at that passage in Acts chapter 16? Acts sixteen thirty-five to 39. When it was day, the magistrate sent his officer, 
officer is saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reports his words to Paul, saying, the magistrate has sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly and uncondemned, Romans, and have thrown us into prison. Now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. The officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then the king pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had sent the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul wanted them to own their mistake. They wanted to get rid of him secretly. They just wanted to say, Paul, just leave. We're, you know, we, we did the wrong thing. Just leave so we don't have to deal with it. And he said, they need to own their mistake. They need to come get me out. And then I will come out. And so that's what happened. Um, and I think back at that time... Uh, there was speculation in the commentaries that I read that Paul was trying to set a precedent for other believers so that they would not get falsely accused. So he wanted it publicly known that he had been mistreated. Thankful for freedom. While I was attending graduate school in the early 1980s, I stopped for coffee in a Malibu, California restaurant. Coming from a non-political family, I knew nothing of political activists, but I met one that day in the restaurant. He told everyone what a mess the United States had become. He ridiculed our government and our educational, industrial, and banking systems. He was on such a roll that he had everyone on his side except for two people, an old man and me. The activists shied away from me, seeing my Pepperdine hat Ronald Reagan t-shirt and the Wall Street Journal. So he went for the old man. As he approached, the old man continued slurping his soup and turned his back. The activist sat down at the old man's table and offered, Mr. If you can tell me just one thing that the United States has ever done for you, just one measly thing, I will leave you alone. Finally, the old man looked up. He licked his spoon clean, set it down on the table. His red face indicated years of laboring the sun. With a heavy Russian accent, he replied, Behold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Then he went back to his soup. The activist defeated could not argue what the old man had experienced on both sides of communism. There are people that have come to the United States that understand what it's like to live in a communist regime. And so they speak out against communism here in the United States. So many people here in the United States who think that they want communism do not understand what it entails. 
Our founding fathers were not perfect. They were flawed individuals like you and me. But they believed that our rights came from our Creator. And I feel privileged to live in a country where I can still freely proclaim that. I don't know how many years it will be that I'm able to do that, but I will do it until my last dying breath by the grace of God. If you do not know the Lord Jesus today, my prayer is that you will come to know him in a very real way. That today would be the day of your salvation. The Philippian jailer asked Paul in Acts chapter 16, What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. He said, If you and your household want to be saved, the way to do it is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That promise still holds true today. I urge you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have life more abundant. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of the Apostle Paul who used every opportunity to share the truth and liberty that was found in Jesus Christ. He even preached to this mob who beat him. And he will continue to preach in the chapter coming up. Lord, we we would pray as Paul prayed that we would have more boldness for you. Now as we go our separate ways, I pray for this congregation that you would make your face shine upon them and give them peace. In Jesus' name, amen.